52 Weeks of Why is a part of a podcast that is called A Place for Expression. Um, 52 Weeks of Why is just the part of the podcast that I've emphasized over the last uh, 28 interviews that I've done now. Um, and A Place for Expression has always kind of, in my mind, been somewhere where we can get together and, and talk about things that, that are personal, things that changed our lives, things that impacted us on a, on a greater level. Um, and one morning at 1 a.m. October of last year, I woke up with this idea of this podcast specifically for 52 Weeks of Why. Um, and I really think that this has helped me so much personally, and I know that it's helped other people um, who have reached out to me and said, wow, this person's why, and they've gone back and watched other ones after they've been interviewed, or I've had people who are just now uh, getting involved and listening and going back and listening to them, and they're digging up old ones that I've uh, interviewed way back in the beginning of this year, uh, and it's really cool to see the progression, um, and I thank you for bearing with me and my interview style as I work through interviewing people. Uh, and this, this particular podcast, I get to interview a friend, um, somebody that I've supported and, and had in my life for a little while. And we both come from similar pasts, and we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, before we get into that, I want to have just one very easy quote from uh, Dr. Edith Eager, and she is a Holocaust survivor. And her quote is, don't ask, how can I help you? Ask, how can I be useful to you? She did a great podcast with Lewis Howes on the School of Greatness. Um, I'm a huge fan of his work and have listened to his interview style change and grow over the years. Uh, and really cool that one, especially listening to a Holocaust survivor share her story and her book. Um, my guest today is Don Rittenauer. Don and I have been friends for about five years now, maybe a little less than that. And uh, his wife, Caroline, was actually an interviewee about a month ago, roughly, and um, just really have been enjoying watching them grow in their entrepreneurship and grow in their projects that they work on both separately and together. And we're going to get into that a little bit tonight or uh, today. And uh, Don, thanks. Uh, man, it's good to see you again. And thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I'm really excited about this and get to catch up too at the same time. It's great. We used to see each other almost every day uh, when you were down in my neck of the woods, and now um, the business has grown to a point where, like, you're 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 traveling so much and doing so much. So, um, first, born and raised in our area in Youngstown, have been here for quite some time, um, and and have been an entrepreneur now for pretty much as long as I've known you, um, but I know you haven't always been an entrepreneur, and I want to talk about that a little bit, but um, share with me a little bit just, just the journey when you came back to Youngstown after spending a little bit of time in Florida, um, where you were in school, and, and what school life was like for you, um, and, and coming up into the present with, with some of the challenges that you faced and obstacles you overcome to get here. Sure. Um, again, Basic family, right? Two loving parents, mom and dad. Um, again, went to Boardman High School, Boardman Middle School. Um, again, lived on the other side of Boardman, I'll say. Uh, again, my parents were blue collar, hardworking, 
My mom was a waitress and my dad was a truck driver, a mechanic for most of his life. Um, but for as far as schooling, again, like I always had a hard time in school and I never really understood why. Um, again, now being an adult, I suffer from ADHD and I also have dyslexia, um, which was never diagnosed uh, throughout my schooling process. So a lot of that makes sense um, of why I had such a hard time in school. Um, I believe it was actually in the fifth grade. Um, I figured out at an early age in school that if I did the first nine weeks, you know, gave it 100%, the second nine weeks, I could do a little bit less. The third and the fourth nine weeks, I could do nothing and I could still get a C or D and pass. Um, so finally my mom caught on to this and was like, what's going on? This is a pattern. I'm like, well, yeah. So I explained it to her. And she actually held me, had me held back in the sixth grade. Um, I guess for her to try to like, I don't know, prove a lesson or to teach me something. But really, I think that added to a lot of guilt and maybe negativity that I carried around up until recently, right? The uh, lack, right? That maybe I wasn't smart or that these issues, right? That that was marked on me as a, as a child actually carried into my adulthood. Um, and again, that tracks in the stuff we'll get into as we continue to talk. Um, but I think that's kind of for me, like that's why I ended up choosing the path that I did to as far as cooking. Um, it was like almost like a pirate, right? Like these guys that play with fire and knives and they work late nights and they play with booze and they drink and right. It's like pirate rock star lifestyle. Um, so I think that was kind of, again, what set me on this path um, of always feeling like an outsider, but never really knowing why. And again, we can get into that as we continue to talk. Um, but yeah, that's kind of like the, the, the basis of it. So as, as a young child, I feel, again, I, I had that stacked against me from the rip. Um, again, blue-collar family, no, not really, parents never really planned for college. Um, and I think that affected me too, because like, you know, coming up and just feeling like I was never going to be good enough to go to college, right? Um, even honestly, dude, even before this interview, I was running around looking for a phone set up to set up the zoom call and i couldn't find it i'm like see bro like this is why you can't do this stuff like you this is not you but it is me like but it's that it's that 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 same mindset uh every, every once in a while still comes back you know that it's it's my fault or that i'm lacking in something because i didn't have you know my ipad here for a zoom call right like it's not a big deal but i was beating myself up about it like see look at you you can't do this stuff who are you trying to be right but it's, it's still yeah, it's that, that inner naysayer, man. That inner naysayer is, is he gets me he's a loud man. voice sometimes, man. Someday. Yep. But it's so really when nice. you it's when you um come out of like grade school and you're and you're moving into high school and and graduating, um, when you graduated, was it apparent to you in those latter years of high school? that that something was different that that you were definitely not going down the path of college kind of where did you see yourself in those periods of time versus where maybe you were in the grade school years six seventh and eighth yeah um again i went to school uh my dad wanted me to go to be a machinist so i went to the vocational school in canfield uh, for my last two years of high school um and again right uh it's probably about my junior year uh, my parents went through a divorce and that's where everything kind of shifted because even at that point i signed up to go in the army reserves and my thought was i just wanted to go get away i wanted to give my parents some time to maybe you know be parent like a couple again and i wanted to go find myself as a man right that was my thought um 
so everything kind of shifted though. I said, mom and dad split up and mom went on a, on a bad roll. Um, and I kind of got tied into that a little bit as well, uh, along with her. So that kind of changed. Um, but again, I always knew like the college thing probably wasn't for me. Um, but I really didn't know what it was going to be. Again, I didn't have a plan, but I knew that no matter what I did, I always ended up cooking somewhere and it was always not like, like work. Like I said, it was like a rock star job, you know, go hang out and being at a catering event. It was like being at a party every weekend, right? You got paid to go to a party and like walk around, pick up plates, it's a busboy. Um, but again, people say all the time, like, I, I guess the, the, it was just always in me to do this, where I'm at right now to cook and express myself through food. It was always there. Um, I remember my dad was like, what are you going to do, cook your whole life? I'm like, well, yeah, like, probably, you know, that's going to be the plan. Um, we still joke about it now. Um, like, see, yeah, you know, he kind of had that visual of just a, a McDonald's, you know, shorter type guy, you know, working the diner or something. Um, but uh, it was always my escape. It was where I could go um, and shut everything off, right? It was the one place that I could go and I knew I was comfortable at, that I could excel at, um, that I could be creative. And one thing I liked about it too was like, as, as a chef, you really can't tell me I'm wrong, right? It's my recipe. <laughs> you might not like it, right? You might not like how I did it, but you can't be like, that's wrong. Like, that's not wrong. That's my recipe. That's how I wanted to do it. Um, so I think some of that plays into why I wanted to do this too. When did you step into your first um, official role where you knew that, that you could make a living being a chef and got a paycheck for doing something that you loved? Yeah, uh, it was, it was early on. I said, my first job was a bus boy, um, at a banquet center. So again, my next transition was to a dishwasher and a prep cook. And it just kind of lined up that way. And again, I always took the journeyman's approach. Um, cause again, I didn't, I didn't go to culinary school at the time too. It was not even really a thought. Um, again, that nobody ever told me at the time, like that was a thing, you know, again, I thought later on, like, yeah, it was a thing, but it just wasn't at that point. I was like, I'm already kind of seasoned here. I've been doing this a couple of years now. Um, but I was very fortunate. My best friend, his dad had a restaurant, um, right on the Ohio PA line in Coitsville. Um, so I started working there and again, we kind of just got to go to work every day, hang out with my best friend, play in the kitchen, right. Listen to some cool music and serve food. And that's where I really kind of just started selling it and going, I can kind of see this like long-term. And again, it's funny because long-term then and long-term now are two different things. Um, but I really never had that goal setting ability to where I just wanted to run somebody's kitchen, right? I just wanted a decent job. I wanted just maybe to have my name tied to something or somebody, right? Um, but I never had the thought of being my own boss or entrepreneur or anything like that again it just wasn't my mindset you know that's not that wasn't I wasn't introduced to that mindset I wasn't introduced to some of the stuff in the books that I've read as an adult as a child um you know poverty mindsets and stuff like that when do you remember first having the inkling that maybe I don't want to do this for other people and maybe I want to have my own restaurant or my own business and operate on your own that wasn't so after getting sobriety in my life, right? And I went 10 years without a driver's license from getting in an accident, leaving the scene, right? DUI type stuff, and uh, which traveled with me for quite a few years. When sure. you were in that original lifestyle, um, when you were younger and, and spiraling, I guess you would say, 
did did you know when you were in it that you were going down the wrong path? Did you know that ultimately the path you were on was going to end badly? And and um, you know how how when you're in that world, how did you continue to be in it and and show up every day if you did know that maybe you were on the wrong path? It was something in my family that was normal. Um, trading uh, like you know prescription drugs with my family wasn't normal. It was normal. Like if you know grandma, not so much grandma, but if my uncle had some pain pills and my cousin had some pain pills, right? He would give some of my, my mom, my mom, and my aunt, and vice versa. Um, one Thanksgiving in particular, I remember calling uh, my aunt to ask her if they needed anything, me to bring anything. And she said she needed spoons. And it didn't dawn on me at the time. I thought that was kind of odd, but hey, you know, whatever. But now again, as an adult, right? And knowing that <laughs> pretty much everyone on that side of the family has passed away because of addiction, uh, they, they didn't have any spoons because they were, you know, using heroin. So like, for me, I didn't really know. Uh, and I also, at the time, again, this was before fentanyl and Oxycontin maybe were, were banished so bad, right? There was a time, again, like my thought was, well, it's from the doctor, right? Um, I was at work, I got introduced to pain pills at work, actually, again, like, which is kind of ironic and which again, for me is, it sums up a lot of my story. Um, but there was a lady that had, had breast cancer. God bless her soul, she's passed, but I forget what it was. My back was hurting, I fell or something, playing uh, flag football with my buddies. I was slipping around and she's like, here, here's this pill to you know, help your back. And I took this pill and it was like euphoria, right? Like the light went on my brain. I, I, I felt I felt good. I felt warm and fuzzy. And I was like, wow, this is this is great. Like I can I can get so much more work done. I feel so good. And that was the initial, right? The initial hook. Like, hey, it's from a doctor. Um, it makes me feel good, right? Like I'm at work, I'm productive. So no, I didn't, I never really I didn't know I had a problem till later in the game. Again, I always went to work. I always managed to pay my bills to support my life. Um, I didn't always pay my child support on time. You know what I mean? There were times some of that stuff they would, would be late, but you know, I always maintained a job and I, there was no, I never got to like stealing from people for my habits. I was very much a functioning addict. Um, and again, unfortunately, it was five, five years ago now, um, I lost my mom. She was a doctor prescribed overdose. Um, she had some pain pill, um, a sleeping pill, and they gave her a fentanyl patch, um, like a 24 hour kind of deal. And she put that patch on on a Friday evening and I got the phone call at noon on a Saturday. And I know it was noon because the siren goes off in Bournemouth at 12 o'clock on Saturdays. The siren was going off and I got the phone call and it was her boyfriend. And, I didn't even panic. Like I said, it was almost eerie. I already, he, he said that you know, the ambulance was coming, CPR and everything, but I already knew um, that she was gone. So yeah, that didn't, that wasn't the, that was the beginning, but that wasn't the awakening moment. Um, unfortunately, after going to the hospital, saying my goodbyes somewhat, um, I remember leaving earlier than everybody else did. And the first place I went to was her house and I stole, took all of her medication. Um, I vividly remember taking the same fentanyl patch that, that killed my mom 
and cutting it open with a pair of scissors and eating it like a popsicle. Um, and that didn't even get my attention, right? So luckily, again, God had plans because that probably should have been a wrap right there. Um, but it took about another year of my own battling with addiction and realizing the path I was on at that point. Um, it wasn't immediate, okay, I need help. It was a slow process. And it came down to one day, I believe I spent over $500 in 24 hours when I was snorting pills um, off of my Bible, right? Because at the time I was trying to get sober and I kind of knew the direction I needed to go, but I had no clue on really what to do. Um, so at that point, um, I actually was married at that time too, um, to my now ex-wife, but through that process, um, the, rea the reality was, it came down to it, I felt as a person, if somebody came up and they killed my mother, I hope in my heart I would forgive them, but I know I wouldn't call them every day to ask them how they were doing and to go find them and to go hang out with them. And slowly but surely, that's the, that's, that's the seed that got planted uh, every time I was making the phone call to go find some pills. As basically, I was going to go hang out with the person that killed my mom. So that started to change um, in me. Um, so at the time, uh, the now ex-wife was like, hey, look, you need to do something. You need to go to rehab. Uh, I don't really have a drug problem. I'll be okay. So I played that game for a while, uh, a few months, you know, a couple weeks sober, months sober, three months sober, boom, right? Right back at it. So again, going to some church and uh, in Boardman and talking to a, a local pastor out there, he let me know about this place called Ohio Valley Teen Challenge. Um, I knew about it already. My cousin went through the program. So knowing the person that he still kind of was at the time, I was like, I'm not going to go waste my time. I've been done for this guy, <laughs> right? I'm not going. But I ended up going to save my marriage. Uh, fast forward maybe three, four months into the program, my, my ex-wife is like, hey, I don't want to be married. I can't deal with this. So I had a decision to make because the reason I went was to save my marriage, right? And, but again, I had other reasons to be there. I kind of knew if I left um, at that time, I probably wasn't going to end well for me because if I left at that point, I really didn't have anything safe to go to, nor at that point, I don't think, oh, sorry here. Oh, sorry. You're good. Keep going. Um, so, I'm sorry. Where was I? Well, just that uh, you were you were at that point where you were in, uh, and your wife said right. she wanted so, a divorce. Yes, so she wanted a divorce. So I knew that again, if I came out, it was probably not going to end well for me, and that there was something bigger already. I was already invested a little bit, and I already felt some change on the inside. Some things already started to make sense. Um, so I stuck it out. I I I stayed for the full year. Uh, a lot of cool things happened during that year, which. Um, we got to go to Cavelli Center. This is a cool part of the story, man. We got to go to the Cavelli Center and clean up on the weekends from all the events and hockey games. And I was in the kitchen, of course, right? Because I could cook. So I was like, hey, I could cook. So I got to go in the kitchen and kind of hide there, you know, the best that I could. Um, so anytime I get to get out of the house to go to, you know, any type of work retail, I would go. We'd go to Cavelli Center, clean up night after night. I started walking around Cavelli Center so many times. And there were a lot of local businesses. <laughs> And um, I sort of wanted to have a logo. And that's all I said. I was like, man, I, I want a logo someday. I didn't know for what or for how. I just said I wanted a logo. 
So we'll get back to that. So I'm out of rehab now. I completed the full year. Um, I came out. I went to stay with my dad. I was living at my dad's house, and I got my old job back. Uh, they welcomed me back with open arms. But like they always say, people, places, and things. And for me, unfortunately, work <laughs> was my people and my place and my thing. So now the place that I go to make a living, that I, that I go to make, my, that's my job, that's what I do, that's my people, place, and thing. So I'm battling my addiction for the majority of 40 to 60 to 70 hours a week sometimes. Um, that's where kind of, you know, I met Caroline around that same time. And um, that's kind of where she comes into play. And um, so she was like, look, man, you can't keep doing this to yourself. Like, this isn't going to ever end well. Like, this is going to continue to be the cycle until you do something, you know. Because, again, she was way, way, way wiser than I, than I am, and especially then, right? Uh, she's seen it all before I could even, I couldn't even think about it. So she encouraged me. Uh, we actually went on a date to, to Libs. Um, we got tacos and I met Ben and um, we talked and I was like, yeah, what if I could rent this guy's space, maybe do a pop up here. And one thing led to another. I was like, well, make it work here part time. This is a cool space. So I went from part time and then again, next thing you know, it was a couple more days. And then it was like, hey, I, I quit my job at this this other place that I had that was pretty predominant and I was doing well at, but I wasn't thriving in, right? I was, I was doing okay, but I wasn't thriving personally. Um, so after months of contemplating, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And Caroline would be like, just make a decision, bro. Like, stop being afraid. <laughs> so I decided to take the jump and go to lives at that time full time, but we didn't even know what that was. Uh, we were doing, I think, food two days a week at that point. Um, but that gave me the, the ability to have a safe work environment and to really take some time to begin to see who I was and maybe even what I was capable of um, in my own environment. Uh, again, I've always, I used to always say I'm a great number two, but I would never, I'm a terrible number one. And the reality is that's not true. Like I'm, I'm an okay number one, I think, you know, um, I'm growing into it. I'm still not perfect or that I'm there, but you know, I'm doing all right as number one, I think. Um, but I had to have that space to grow, um, into my own and Ben provided that. Um, so now fast forward, so now we're at Libs, right? So we're just kind of grinding away. Um, new life, new job, things are going well. And Caroline has an idea for some meal prep, right? That she wanted for herself. So then we can fast forward to, to YoFresh a little bit. So I make a Facebook post. So, hey, I'm making food for my wife. <laughs> Does anybody want in on this? We actually had a few takers at the beginning. Um, some of them were Caroline's swim parents. So we're working at Libs on Sundays, doing our brunch. We're running to the store afterwards, right down the streets. So we're getting some groceries. We're cooking in Salem at the Memorial Building, and we're delivering them on Sunday as well. So that's going well. And... Um, we launched as YoFresh, um, which is cool because now I had a logo, right? I said I wanted a logo, so then I had one. Um, so now we have a small operation, and we're kind of doing some things, right? Caroline sets up an LLC, and we have some local business people behind us. We asked some questions, um, and we ventured off into this meal prep thing. Let me um, ask a couple questions. So when you came out of the 
the, the dark place and, and went into rehab and, and had the rug yanked out from under you while you were there, thinking that you were there for one reason, finding out very clearly that that, that reason wasn't really why you were there. As you were working your way through that process, that year, and and now even going forward, what what was the how did you stifle that voice of the naysayer, the voice that kept wanting you to do wrong? Um, and how do you continue to do that today when that voice comes up? What what are you doing to to get yourself out of that zone? I, I go to therapy. Um, I'm on some medication. Um, all kind of little things, you know, I have people in my life that, that support me and that I can call and talk to, but really it was just, it was deep inside, man. It was just knowing that there had to be more life than what I was doing. Right. Like, cause if not, like, what was the point, you know, like, so I, I guess that was kind of the, the driving force of just feeling like that I have something to do. Like, right. Like what I went through part was too going, what I went through and losing my mom, like, uh, not only did I not want my kids to go through that, but I don't really want anybody to have to do that. You know, like that's, that's, that was, that was, that was crappy. You know, um, people should have to bury their, their parents and their kids because of drugs, man. Like it's just a terrible, terrible thing. The fact that you were able to come out of it is amazing. So coming into now the last, just the last year or so, you know, you said that you, you've never pictured yourself a good number one, that you weren't a good number one. I think, man, I think everybody's got that in them. I think you, it takes that person to show you what number one means to them. And you can go, oh, that's what it means. Well, well, I can do that. And then you realize, oh, if I can do that, then maybe I am, maybe I can be number one. Right. And, and right. it's amazing That's, to me how having that example does yeah. that. And you've been very blessed in the last like two and a half years to just be completely surrounded by entrepreneurs, right? Like everybody around you is running their own thing and doing their own thing. Right. And I have so many great people around me um, and wise counsel. Uh, like I said, it's just been a blessing. Um, and again, it's all been part of the process, you know, even some of that too. Um, you said like, how do I, what shuts that voice down sometimes? Sometimes it's, I'll stop and I'll take an inventory. Um, just of who I have in my life. And the fact that these three men that I lean on are in my life of who they are tells me enough to know that I'm on the right path. Like that shuts that voice up that I'm not enough because these men that, my, that I have around me would not waste their time. Um, if, if I didn't have, you know, a value if they didn't see something maybe that I don't, or again, they just have that different, they don't hear that negative voice that I hear about myself. They see it for what it is, right? They see everything I, I got going on and what I'm, they see my heart, you know? And sometimes my brain is louder than my own heart to myself in a negative way. Uh, but again, that's part of it. You know, again, that's part of the depression. You didn't touch on that yet. I think that's important. I think as men, uh, again, we don't talk about that enough, uh, men's mental health. You know, we're men, we're good, we're fine, I got this. Man, I tried that for a long, long time, and it, it, it didn't do me any good. Uh, again, that the hardest part for me was waking up on days and knowing that I was so blessed to be here um, and to be able to breathe and to have the opportunities I had, but I still couldn't get out of bed to face the day, right? Like, it was that heavy at times, and it didn't make sense. 
And again, that was hard for me because I'm like, there's nothing wrong, bro. Right. There's nothing wrong with you. Quit it. Like get up. But I couldn't. Right. It wasn't that easy. Um, but it seems so. How did you overcome that? Therapy and medication. Um, and it's something that, again, that I still, I, I dealt with it today. Again, looking for the, get ready for the zoom call. You know, it's, it's something right now. It's it's funny that we're talking about it because it's definitely on my next paradigm shift. Is really realizing my identity, um, and who I am because of of God. You know what I mean? And because of what I am in my life and what I've done and what I've gone through. Um, just because I'm I, I have a past and I was an addict doesn't mean that I can't be an entrepreneur. Just because I barely graduated high school doesn't mean I can't be successful. Um, it's 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 really just been a lot of learning again self um inside out again that's been it's it was actually the first chapter in uh one of the books i'm reading right now is seven um healthy habits of highly and uh what's the word influential people and that's part of it like inside out and i think that's that's the, the realization of that that's what's making me understand that i i am a number one uh, because of the inside out, because of the leading with a limp. I actually read that book lately too. That was a good one. And that was just good. It's, it's that, that, that mentality of I'm not perfect. Um, I'm lucky to be here. Uh, you know what I mean? I'm lucky to have a seat at the table and I just want to do the best I can and be the best I can each day. And again, I fall short daily. I, I you know, I, I stumble at times but again, as far as the opiates and stuff, no, it's not really, it's not, it hasn't been an issue. But there's still things I still struggle and stumble with that are um, parts of the problem that made me um, the addict that yeah. I was. I'm still uncovering yeah. that stuff just because I'm not using now and not all the opiates. Now I'm still peeling the onion layers off. And every time I'm like, oh, I'm good. And it's like, oh, no, bro. You know, you're not good. There's a whole other layer there. And I, oh, man, a whole yeah. other layer. And it's, it's like the paradigm shift. Each time there's, it's, they, they seem to almost go hand in hand. Each time I get through another label, uh, another layer, it's like being able to, that's the feeling to be able to break through to get to the next level. Like, oh, and each time it seems to work that way. So, so when we circle back all of this, I asked about the voice of the naysayer and how you combat it. Um, I thought maybe that would be the why, but I think there's more to it. And, and I'd love for you to share um, your why now since we've heard the whole story and what, what keeps you motivated and gets you going every day. There's a couple of different things. Again, part of it is I want to leave a legacy for my mother. Um, and at one point in time, when I, and I, I said that a long time ago, um, when this whole journey started of sobriety, that I wanted to have an impact and leave a legacy for my mom, I didn't really understand it, but I just knew it was something I wanted to do. Um, what I've gone through and, and what the Lord has done in my life and the impact that I could have as a person, like that's my why. Because if not, if that's not my why, then my mom died in vain, right? If I don't, if I don't stay on top of my game, if I don't stay sober, if I don't do something and, and leave something behind that somebody can see that that there's a change, then what's the point, you know? So for me, that's really my main why is just to leave a legacy for my mom to say that again, we we do recover, you know what I mean? We we can. We can get up and come anything we can put our minds to. Um, that's part of my why. Um, my two children, right? Part of my why. Because um, again, like we touched on earlier, there's a time they were they were ashamed of me. That hurts, but it's the truth. Um, there's a time I'm ashamed of myself. <laughs> but to be able to have my kids, uh, sorry, 
but to be able to have my kids uh, look up to me now and be proud of me, that's part of my why. Um, that's all part of my why. Like I said, just to be able to give back. Um, like I said, I've, I've, I've met so many people on this journey um, that are way, way less fortunate than I, than I am, that have been through way more, way more stuff than I've been through. Um, and I just carry that stuff, man. Even here locally in Youngstown, like just drive around, you know, pay attention. You used to see brokenness everywhere, you know, and that's just where my heart is. That's my why. Cause, cause I, I, I've gone through something. I've been broken. Um, um, I'm, I, I, I'm on the other side. Like, again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not arrived. I still deal with things, but I'm on the other side of some things. So if I could be on the other side of things, then, then other people could be on the other side of things. Because again, I'm not the smartest guy. I don't have a college education. You know, I'm, I'm just a dude that, that went through some stuff, you know, to try to make the best of the, sometimes the worst opportunities. But that's part of it too, though. You know, I've always had that, that work ethic, no matter what, no matter the addiction or no matter what. I always knew that, you know, if you don't work, you don't eat, you know. I wanted to hit on this. So if we went back to Dawn in junior year of high school, would I, I don't I mean obviously with the with the why being so correlated to mom, would it have been correlated to mom back then, or was your why different back then? No, then I don't think there was a why then. I was just I was just living right. I, there wasn't a why. Um, again, I kind of had that same rock star mentality. There was a time when I didn't know if I would live to be in my forties, right? I never planned for retirement because I never looked that far ahead. CJ Curran said uh, his why back then was just to have fun, right, and, yeah, and be funny and. If you were fun and funny, like you were in, you know? That was my right. Just to, again, just to be a cut up, you know? just wanting to be liked and fitting in because I felt like we touched on earlier. I just kind of felt like I never fit in. But now as, as an adult, as I'm growing into my, my identity, I'm like, of course, of course you didn't fit in. You were made to stand out, bro. Like you were made different for a reason, right? Like not everybody, again, not everybody's cut out to be an entrepreneur. Not everybody can come out of addiction. Not everybody can, you know, to handle some of the stuff that apparently that, that God's brought me through. So that's part of my why too, because again, I'm here standing. Like you need to know this. So if, if we know that your why wasn't this as a teenager, and we know the, the period that you went through um, where the why was focused around addiction, um, when was there a point either in rehab or recently when you said, I have a why, or I have to make a why, or it dawned on you that mom was the why, uh, and and when was that? If you can recall when that was, where where you your purpose shined a light on you, and you knew that now you could come out over on the other side of this. Uh, it was after rehab again. I kind of came out with a false sense of arrogance, um, like I was just good, right? I've been delivered. Was my mindset, right? I'll never, I'm never gonna sin again, right? I'm good. Um, so I kind of came out a little arrogant and it probably took a good eight months and I slipped up and again, it wasn't, you know, I didn't go on a bender for weeks at a time, but for me, that was a reality check of, Hey, whoa, whoa, wait, you put in a lot of work, bro. Like you sacrificed a lot of stuff to get away from this. Um, maybe you don't got this. Right. And again, it's that thorn in my side. Right. And again, I, I like to think that that's part of it um, that keeps me connected and grounded, knowing that, again, it's that higher power that I can't do this on my own. 
I think the seed of, of wanting to change and have an impact was planted before, um, like you talked about earlier, the seed was planted before, you know, like right after kind of like when I was trying to, when I realized what I was doing and that I was on the same path, I think that was my why. I think I knew that then. I just didn't have the tools and um, the people around me or the knowledge to do it. Um, but again, it's all been a process. It, it, it's funny because sometimes I had to put the horse in front of the, or the cart in front of the horse. You know, there's been times that it's had to be that way. There's been times I've had to do, take leaps of faith to, to, I feel, activate this journey to where I'm at. Because if I wouldn't have came and met the guy at the space I'm in right now the day that I didn't want to, but I felt led to, I probably wouldn't have the space. Like I said, uh, same thing with people I've reached out to. If I would have reached out to them, they wouldn't be in my corner, right? They wouldn't be mentoring me because I didn't reach out to them. But the time, I probably had no right. Like, like, why is this person calling me? Who's this person? You know, but again, like I said, I was on TV again today, Doss. Like, I've been on 21 News over, I think, 15, 16 times. Your project that you're on now, why you are on TV like you are, um, is is specifically because of the way that how you went from um, prepping food to working at a place where you could have autonomy and make some food to being on your own making food to helping Caroline with her meal prep, and now you find yourself making food for. 300 kids a day, Monday through Friday, uh, 200 some meals uh, on YoFresh on a, on a weekend, sometimes more, um, hot ready meals, we're catering for a gentleman tonight that's filming a movie in Columbiana, um, it's just been a whirlwind, man, um, I, I, I said, sometimes I can't explain it, but again, it's that get up, go to work, right, what's in front of me today, um, but again, part of the story, right, like you said earlier, it's not so much that my food is selling my business, it's it's me, right? And again, realizing that um, we've been very blessed with some marketing people in our corner. Um, iSynergy Marketing is right next door to us. That ties into what I was talking about, the Cavelli Center, because um, not only did I, I say I wanted the logo when I was in the Cavelli Center, but they actually just finished our logo on the ice in the Cavelli Center for the Phantom season this year, right? So not only was my was my, was my my voice heard that I wanted the logo, it's actually in the same building that I said I wanted it at on the ice for the hockey season. Um, but again, we've been blessed just to have these opportunities, you know, um, the right time, right place, you know, meeting up with Andrew DePaulo a couple of times on the news. And, and again, he's in my phone, like one of my contacts. It's like, right. Like, so again, it's, it's just weird. Right. I go from my looking back a couple of years ago, my phone was full of people that all had criminal records and felonies and, you know, now it's entrepreneurs and TV people and business people and millionaires. Like, what the heck? The, the transition's amazing, right? The story's amazing. Going from from literally coming out of rehab, overcoming addiction, slipping up, being your own worst critic, and then going back to the job and the in the exact space, people, place, things that that. You had to resist, continue to resist, and then migrating into one or two days a week at the coffee shop down the street, making some tacos, and then having some liberty to make more and do more and being full-time to just – I remember the day you, you just took the plunge. You're like, we're just going to do it. I'm not, I won't be here anymore. I'm going to go make my own food, and I'm, I've got this thing. I've got this idea, and I've got the support of my wife. Um, and that support with her entrepreneurial spirit, what you learned from 
from Ben at the coffee shop and what you learned on your own, just, just, just putting your head against it to now be serving 300 kids um, with a, with a grant to help cover that. Uh, it, it's just an amazing story. Yeah. Now if you were to, if you look back on, if you were to speak to you or, or someone who was in your situation prior to rehab, prior to the loss, if you were to go back and, and talk to that person about their why or about something that could change them, what would you say to somebody who's in that place now? Um, or somebody who, because you had those thoughts in your head that this isn't, this isn't who, what I'm meant to be. And I believe that everybody has those thoughts and they just successfully stifle them. Uh, with their addiction. And if you could say something to that, to you or to that person, what would that be? Um, I don't know if I could say anything to me. Uh, Cause again, like I have a hard head, right? I could have talked to myself till I was blue in the face and I still would listen to myself. I, I had to go through this. Um, but I think that's part of it too, that I would tell everybody, like you have to go through it. Um, if you're in it, you got to go through it. Like you're already there. You know what I mean? You are already there. You, you got to go through it. You're going to have to, suck it up you're gonna have to if you have to go get medical treatment if you have to go to the clinic right some some people are anti you know medication for sobriety uh i'm not i mean whatever you got to do to live today to get to tomorrow if you got to go to the suboxone clinic by all means bro go to the suboxone clinic get you a chance for tomorrow um but fear man fear is a liar right that's that for me that was the that's still one of my major issues is fear and not feeling like I'm enough, um, but we are. We are enough, man. We're we were, we're beautifully made. We all have a, a, a job to do here on this earth, uh, some capacity. Um, and there's so many people in all of our lives that we're all attached to. Um, again, it took me losing somebody that was very important to me um, to wake up um, and kind of get out of my slumber. You could do it, and you yes. did it. Yes. And you're, you are a testimony and, and a shining example of that, um, that fear is a mile wide and a mile high, but it's paper thin. It's fear, man. Again, like, don't be afraid. Like, trust your instincts, man. Like, have faith in yourself. You know, we, we have so much in us that we don't know. Um, and it really takes that, that self-reflection time um, to really start working on the onion layers like we talked about to really bring that stuff to the surface as terrible as it is, as stinky as it is, as crappy as it is. Right. Um, I like the analogy that, you know, the prettiest of rose has to go through some manure, right? Like it's a beautiful rose, but at some point in time, it went through some crap, you know? And I think that's part of the beauty of life. Um, I think some of the prettiest roses have gone through some crap. Um, and I think that's the beauty of it. And again, that's part of the why, like I said, because there's people out there that need to know that, you know, you can change that. Again, recovery is a thing that that hope is a thing that fear is not, you know, true. That it's a, fear is a liar. That we are capable of recovering. We are capable of more than what we can imagine if we change our paradigm shifts and we continue to grow and learn and work through all the stuff that we've, you know, buried from the addiction for all the years. Um, and again, it's been a lot of work for me. Again, children, my relationship with family members a lot of my own personal stuff, um, the way that I look at things, my perceptions, um, it all had to change. And that's the thing, it all has yep. to change because if nothing changes, nothing changes. And those, a lot of the cliche things you hear in like rehabs and stuff, but 
they're true. Like if nothing changes, dude, it's gonna change. Like you're not gonna get up one day and your life's gonna be different just because you hope it's gonna be. Like you gotta do some stuff. You gotta put some work in. You gotta go plow the fields, right? And you said about seasoning seasons too. Um, that's huge because it's the same thing. Like you can't you can't expect a harvest if you didn't put no work in. You know, if you, again, if you ain't out there fertilizing. And, you know, if you ain't digging the hole deep enough, you ain't putting the work in. It doesn't matter how much you spray your hose, right? You're not going yeah, to work. Yeah, um, I, I think Ron says if you're not planting in the spring, you're banging in the fall, yeah. right? If you're, not, if you're not out there doing the work, you, you're not allowed you, to complain in the fall when you got no harvest. But even when the harvest time comes, it ain't like there ain't no work, right? Like that's just, there's still work for the harvest, right? You might be in harvest yeah. season. But you still gotta work for that. You still gotta go do the work. You ain't just gonna sit back and collect the harvest. You gotta go do it yourself. Um, but that's the beauty of it, man. I said just being here and all this coming together. Like I said, being able to look back and just see the progress. Um, I came into your life right out of transitioning from the restaurant to the coffee shop. So you were still kind of you were talking about then how going there was was pulling you backwards not moving you forwards and yeah i remember that that transition there's been a lot of times where you shared wisdom of of how you're moving yourself away from the things that that tempt you and distract you and drag you down and you've done uh just an amazing job of that brother and i'm, I'm so happy to support you and see your success and it's really cool to just at random see you on the news uh, talking about what you're doing now. It's really cool to see your success and hear that you're reading and hear that you're growing and hiring people and have employees and so many different facts, facets of your life that have changed just in a such a short period, all because of that dedication to sobriety and that dedication to, to, leaving a legacy for your daughters and for mom. Um, I think it's a, it's a, it's a great example for anyone else who's going through it, that you can come out on the other side of it and you don't come out on the other side of it worse. You don't come out on the other side of it um, in a position that you have regrets. There's no regrets where you are now no, relative scars, to where you right? were. There's scars, there's bruises, you know, there's stuff like that coming out of the other side, but you know, regret, no. Um, you know, I, st I still sometimes like if look and say maybe I have a, I, I, maybe I missed an opportunity there, or maybe I could have done that differently. But again, it's it's learning that it's not regret, right? It's it's okay, I did that wrong. How can I learn from it? And then it's not right. Then it's not negative. It's a positive. Because again, it's it's, it's it's so much just mindset, man. It's 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 it, that's really what it is. It's all in the mindset. If I wake up and the first thing out of my mouth is, oh man, crap, right? Today sucks pretty much that day is going to go that way. You know what I mean? I'm going to stub my toe. My shirt's going to get caught on the doorknob. I'm going to have a flat tire, right? The old lady's going to be slow in the car in front of me. I'm going to forget my wallet. But if I wake up with a different mindset, you know, I like your I, iPad on this, you know, I've been working on waking up and um, trying to be thankful and at least think of a couple things off the rip, right? And open my eyes and go, man, I'm thankful for this, this, and this, and this, and this. It kind of sets a tone for the day. And again, that stuff's important, man. Staying connected, staying in, you know, meditation time, reading time, that all plays into sobriety. Because again, my mind, my mind is an evil thing sometimes. And if I don't fill it with good, the bad will find its way in sometimes. 
that's a that's a perfect lead into like a John Gordon saying where he says, where there is a void, negativity will always fill it. That if you leave a void, it's not just going to magically fill up with positivity. You've got to you've got to fill the void with positivity to keep that negativity out. Brother, thank you so much for the time, for sharing your story, for doing what you do to help those kids get a, a good square meal, for not cutting corners, um, for showing up every day and working hard like I've seen you do it. Um, I appreciate you, and I appreciate our friendships, and I appreciate you being here.